Hi, I'm Jana Axline. Welcome to our first episode of Corporate CPR, where we'll be talking about failed ERP implementations. Um, I'm uh, joined with me today is Brendan Kelly from our Corporate CPR show. And then our guests today are Adrian Tyler and Michael Grace. Yeah, hi, I'm Adrian. Uh, I'm managing director of a couple of companies, all about expert in Australia, which is a project delivery firm uh, with a strong track record in ERP implementations. And I'm also executive director for AdCorp Holdings Australia, which is a professional services group. Great, Great and Michael Grace. Hi, I'm Michael Grace. I'm a uh, director with uh, RPI Consultants. And I uh, lead our in for ERP practice as well as our healthcare practice here. Uh, and then I also uh, am leading a, a blog and some thought leadership under the name Tech Pro Unicorn. So we have a podcast, we have a blog, uh, all about ERP and uh, in the corporate world. Uh, so very, very synonymous to, to uh, what we're going to talk about today. Great. Well, you know, what I want to kind of frame with is ERP is something that we've uh, that's been in the industry for for decades. And um, I would think that many people out there might even feel like it's becoming a stale term. Right. Like when you think of ERP, you think of those large um, clunky systems um, that, you know, they're just there to do finances and, um, and and your general ledger and, you know, accounting and supply chain. And those are the guys that use it. And it's just it, it's the it's the, the product of the 80s. Um, so I'd like to, I'd like your guys' thoughts on what is the future of ERP? Because that's really not seeming where, where the, uh, industry is headed. Yeah. Um, well, I could, would you like me to kick that off, Jenna or Michael? Sure. Yeah. Go so I, I, I mean, globally, um, I've, I've been involved in many, uh, ERP implementations, um, across different continents and uh, the, the, there's very strong business cases that uh, organizations that we've delivered to have used for um, uh, implementing an ERP solution. Uh, and I, I guess when it goes back to the reasons why, uh, there's a lot of um, uh, aging legacy applications that may be unsupported. There's a lot of data um, harmonization that isn't happening. There's no standardization in reporting or integration between those systems. And there's a lot of duplication of effort and redundant processes within the organization. Um, and, and ERP uh, traditionally has helped solve a lot of those challenges for organizations. Um, doesn't come without its challenges for implementation. Uh, trying to bring everything together um, uh, generates a lot of complexity, uh, both in the project team and, and the organisation that's delivering from a change perspective. Um, but as it's evolved, I've, I've seen, you know, there's, there's a lot of um, uh, ERP solutions that have uh, obviously migrated to the cloud. And with that comes uh, its own challenges because an ERP cannot not be everything to everyone. Uh, and there's typically a lot of uh, complementary applications that need to be brought along that are specialist to an organization's operations. Um, and the evolution of uh, cloud-based integration platforms, I've seen has, has made that a lot easier 
um, moving forward. So I, my initial uh, thought is, yes, ERP still has a very uh, important space to play in an operations management, um, but we need to be cognizant of the fact that there are a lot of other applications that really bring an organisation to life and enable those business benefits to be realised. Michael, one of the things I've heard, and I was just curious what your reaction is to this, is, you know, that that the ERP to an organization will become like your smartphone to the individual. So it'll become the hub which in which all other applications then get derived from and people as they want to expand their um, their environment, they would just kind of plug it in. I mean, what what are your thoughts there? Yeah, it, that, it's, it's so true, right? Um, I love some of the stuff that Adrian said because um, ERP is becoming about being the, the center of your business um, and, and becoming specific to your business. And I, I think if we look at the market, um, a couple paradigms have shifted. One, there's a lot more ERP players in the space today than there ever were. Um, if you search ERP vendor, you now have you know, no less than 100 hits, lots of small companies, lots of small niche players entering. It's no longer Oracle, SAP, Lawson slash Infor, um, Microsoft, Sage, Dynamics, right? Now there's 100 other players that are playing to very niche markets uh, to try to bring that specific business functionality uh, to the table. And then one of the biggest advents I think I've seen is a switch from owners or drivers being IT, trying to keep a software updated and modern uh, so it can stay in maintenance to now the business really driving ERP. And 10 years ago, it was supply chain driving ERP to get the most out of the supply chain value realization. And today it's now shifted to HR is really the owner and that's around people, right? Um, so to your question, long way around to your question, but to your question, um, the apps, the, the modern ERP on smartphones is really around employee enablement, right? Um, giving them all the information that they need on their personal device. And that's not just HR information, like what's my PTO balance? That's, oh, I need to do a stock reorder, click, um, you know, and instantly using their smartphones or using their personal devices, they're connected to their ERP and they can transact, um, not oh, let me write that on a piece of paper and go back to my terminal and enter the information. So that that drive down to the lowest level of technology, one that IT doesn't even honestly control very often, thanks to cloud, um, is, is a big paradigm shift we're seeing in ERP. Hmm. And, and something I find interesting too, is, as, as I kind of look at even kind of, I, I'm definitely the youngest one on the call. So as I, as I look at the younger generation, um, I mean, you look at ERP and like Jenna said, it's a product of the 80s and not many people kind of think of ERP, ERP as this, this new and innovative technology, but you have a lot of these new and innovative technologies like blockchain and, and the cloud and um, uh, AI and machine learning. And like Jenna said, using ERP as kind of the hub to kind of wrap all that in, I think is going to be what's needed to kind of dull down some of the confusion on those topics. Like blockchain is a scary term to some, and so is artificial intelligence. But if you have a central hub that's a, a friendly user interface that everyone can understand, I think the learning curve of that kind of uh, dies down dramatically. So that's that's what I'm hoping to see in the future as well, is, is more access to some of those 
kind of confusing and scary topics with a nice hub to go over it. So, yeah, you know, I, I have heard of some of the ERPs implementing uh, AI, especially within the in the human capital management talent acquisition space. And um, Brendan, I think to your point, it it sounds kind of daunting. It also sounds kind of cool, but I, I just wonder how much opportunity there is then for um, freeing our people up to do more meaningful work, right? I, I assume that's, that's where we're headed with this, you know, um, freeing people up so they don't have to... <laughs> go through resumes or I, I don't know, what are, what are your guys' thoughts? Part of what, what we do at RPI, um, we have, I lead our strategic services practice, which is all about robotic process automation, which is really the, the relevant form of AI. I get kind of amped up when people say artificial intelligence, because <laughs> it doesn't really exist. Um, you know, as far as like free thinking robots and automations, but, but robotic process automation does exist and all the vendors are trying hard to come to the table with something meaningful. I, I think Microsoft is uh, overly complicating it and very confused and can't figure out how to integrate it. I, I think Oracle has good workflow tools, but they're trying to call robotic process automation that it isn't really hundred percent that. I think Infor is really late to the game. Um, I, I think Workday, uh, it's an afterthought, right? It was developed, even though they're the, they're probably the newest major platform, they didn't really build RPA in, so they're a little late to the game. Um, you know, so we always recommend still a third party, you know, like a Blue Prism Automation Anywhere UI path while the ERP vendors really figure it out because nobody wants to be on that cutting edge new released thing that any of these vendors have. Um, so, so it's, it's interesting, but that's the driver, right? Is can we do ERP type processing with less people leveraging automation? Hmm. Yeah, that's so really, yeah, sorry. That's a really great point there, Michael. And I, I think there's a huge opportunity. Obviously ERPs are based on process models as well. So um, when, when we implement ERPs, we're implementing an end-to-end -end process in a lot of cases. Uh, and what, what we've done over, over the years is develop a suite of, I don't know, 350 uh, processes that apply to an ERP solution. But those processes are executed pretty much manually in an organisation. And the opportunity to take those business processes and create use cases for RPA um, within a, within an ERP landscape is huge. And, you know, I think there's some huge opportunities with the likes of the UI paths and blue prisms to, you know, bolt on to those ERPs uh, through, you know, very, very simple uh, plug and play integration layers, for instance. Mm -hmm. So I, I haven't done um, any implementations with that level of um, robotic process implementation uh, being part of the scope. So I'm curious, does that increase the uh, complexity of the project then? Like when it, you think about it, 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 really, it really does. Um, I, you know, we have two or three right now that are uh, either, you know, about to do their ERP journey. And then they're like, oh, we really should do RPA. And we always get asked the question, do I do ERP then RPA? Do I RPA then ERP? Um, and I'm like, you can do either of those and you can get to revisit and redesign your business process twice. Um, because if you implement ERP, I'm going to come along and go, okay, that's great. Now I'm going to automate it. Or if you do RPA and then you bring 
ERP to the table, your new ERP, well, now I have a new tool set that I have to re-automate for, right? Um, so it's really best to do both, but it adds, uh, you know, an X factor of complexity. Um, you know, people struggle to understand the new functionality in an ERP, let alone some esoteric robotic process automation AI type tool. And, oh, by the way, it's probably going to make your job, you know, Mr. or Mrs. Smee, obsolete and you're probably going to not really be needed anymore, but we still want you to participate in this process to eliminate your job. Um, so it creates all kinds of not only complexities from a technology perspective, increase in cost, increase in scope, increase in timeline, but it's really the right approach. Otherwise, we're having to touch everything twice. Well, it sounds like a huge change initiative then as well, which I don't know about your guys' experience, but I find most organizations leave change as an afterthought. Um, you know, so they're IT-driven implementations um, with no real thought to how does that change people's day-to-day -day jobs. Yeah. Mm, absolutely. Along with the RPA conversation, I, I guess there's some other complementary uh, add-ons to an ERP foundation layer uh, that I'm seeing com coming through that will have huge future benefit for not only organisations but communities or cities, uh, and that's in the you know the chatbot area and the uh, link back to a RPA process or an automated process for uh, ensuring communities are looked after. For instance, um, a city might uh, have chatbots looking over social media and picking up that there's a pothole on a road somewhere. And so that um, someone will take a picture, uh, they'll put it on social media, uh, someone might, uh, the the bot might pick it up from social media and immediately create a work order uh, within the city to go and fix that pothole. Uh, and that's an automated process. Uh, and we're seeing a little bit of that now, but those sort of use cases moving into the future, um, leveraging an ERP platform, you know, are hugely valuable, I think, longer term. And, and, and to follow up on that too, to kind of discuss what both of you were talking about. I mean, ERP was really around the supply chain management at first and being an evangelist for the blockchain, uh, kind of both the theory and the practice in general, I think blockchain is going to have an amazing effect on supply chain uh, warehousing and everything. Because for those who don't know, blockchain is basically a way to share all the same data uh, to multiple parties, but it's all a different version. So uh, your data is safe and you know the data that you're looking at is the same as the vendor across the street who you're selling product is also looking at. So when it comes to creating that value at a time and putting it back into people's jobs, I think blockchain is going to have a huge effect on ERP's ability to uh, manage those resources because everyone's looking at the same data. No one accidentally fat fingered a Excel spreadsheet and, and sent it over and now everyone's numbers are messed up. You're able to see that kind of all in conjunction with each other. And I think that's going to drastically reduce kind of a cost of poor quality and then even just quality notifications following up with vendors and stuff. I think, I think that's where we're going to see a lot of value, but blockchain is, is still in this uh, kind of quicksand where once someone hears about it, it gets scary, they sink, and then they say, okay, we'll just wait for later. So I think we got some growing pains, but I'm excited <laughs> to see what it does. Well, so then, you know, you guys are, you're talking about all like, so ERP is not going away. In fact, it sounds like it's going to get more complicated as it hopefully makes our lives more simple. But if you juxtapose that against, I think some of the largest failed projects 
our ERP implementations. <laughs> like, so, you know, I, I don't know about you and I'd like to talk a little bit, you know, I'm thinking about war stories here about failed ERP projects and, and kind of what, what you have seen, um, obviously being sensitive to our clients um, around that, you know, you know, for instance, I, I think the number one failing that I've seen time and time again is really, I alluded it to it earlier, is the IT owning the ERP implementation and not the business. And so that results in a couple of things. Maybe nobody takes the time to document business processes. Um, so nobody <laughs> understands how it's actually done today. Um, and then translating that to a change management of how it will be done in the future. And so then we implement a solution that either has gaps in um, functionality or we have a business that isn't accepting it. And so it fails due to adoption problems. Um, I mean, what do you what do you guys see with your implementations? Maybe, Michael, you can take it first. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, the right sponsorship, right, is really mm -hmm. what we, we really look for. Because at the end of the day, um, we jokingly reference, we're going to go into battle together, right? Um, we want to make sure that the that the command level of that organization uh, understands what they're about to undertake and and as committed troops right to go to go into battle with us um and, and you know uh, it change doesn't come easy and sometimes even the best change management process at some point you need somebody with a big stick uh, to say okay i hear you but that's not what we're going to do. We're going to do this and you can stay or you can leave, but we're going to do this. Um, so executive sponsorships uh, an absolute key. And I've seen projects fall apart, right? Long into the implementation because getting started and getting trained and looking at the shiny new toy, that's all easy. Um, and, you know, it gets hard when you not talk about the technology, right? Whether it's Oracle or Workday or Infor or pick any product, right? You, anybody can learn that stuff. It's, it's changing and transforming your business process that becomes the challenge. Um, and, and executive sponsorship and appropriate change management become critical to being successful there. It has almost nothing to do with the tool, uh, more to do with the business process. And Adrian, I know you've been a part of like some massive ERP implementations for global companies. I mean, and I think those, from my understanding, went well. But I mean, have, what were what are your learnings then, comparing like what went well there versus the ones that have failed? I mean, what are well, kind you, of those failure yeah. points? Although I haven't personally been involved in failures, there's always challenges. <laughs> Right. Um, and, and the challenges are many and varied and we take some good lessons out of that. But um, I, I think, you know, the cost overruns that lead to a project failure, um, as as Michael alluded to at the sponsorship level, uh, that translates down if, if you don't have sponsorship to lack of business buy in by your your business leaders across the organization um, into the target state and and as a result that kind of inadequately um, gives the business an understanding of what we're going to deliver and um, and that leads to a poorly developed solution right so the other side of that is what what I see a lot is um, organizations selecting as an implementation partner the software company themselves Right, rather than a system integrator, uh, and I, I'm seeing that quite a quite a bit more uh, as as time progresses, and 
we all know that there's a hundred things on a project that need to be done. A software company knows how to do about about ten of those hundred, right? Software companies know their technology and uh, they know how to implement the core technology components. Uh, but there's many, many other things on a project that need to be done by the business, and the business may not have the capability or capacity to deliver those components. Things such as their enterprise architecture, their business process model, uh, the acceptance testing of a solution, the data migration, um, so on and so forth, the project management, the change management. Uh, and those are things that software companies typically are not geared up to. Uh, and that's where implementation partners uh, really uh, thrive. And that's what they're positioned for uh, because that's their, that's their business on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so I see some of those uh, lessons coming through, but what that what that really um, what that really translates to, I guess, is uh, is setting up the project for success from the beginning. And some of those things that that I see um, that we need to focus on is focus on a, a best practice model for business processes, for your data, for your integration, and develop a minimum vi viable sol solution very early. Right, mm. so. The old days of waterfall, where you see the solution when you enter your test phase, your user acceptance testing phase, right? We need to see that solution right up front. Those these solutions have been around for long enough now that we should have a pre-configuration ready to go right at the start of the project. That should give us the line of sight and align our solution to our strategic outcomes and the measures that we're tracking against from a requirements perspective. The other thing that I see a lot of is there's a lot of customization that customers tend to want to do, right? So we we're try different. and we're special, <laughs> exactly. Uh, to you know, so stay as close as possible to you know that standard product. Um, and also the other thing that I see uh, customers getting, or you know, um, customers getting. Uh, involved in throughout a project, especially if a project is a long one, is they uh, tend to do a lot of changes to their legacy systems, which impact the future state of a project or a, or a new solution. Uh, and and that that um, really drives a lot of change and on, on the project itself and a lot of cost associated with that. So there, there are a few things that come to mind in that sense. I love what you said about the vendor, right? Um, if you mm. think about that, there's there's a, just an inherently built-in conflict of interest with having the vendor who owns the software also do the implementation. Are they gonna Are they gonna tell you about the flaws with the software? No, they're gonna try to bury them and hide them. Um, you, you know, it's 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 like you just don't you don't give that the same person both of those things. Um, they usually don't have the skills like you alluded to, but to me, there's just an inherent conflict of interest in doing that. And they're usually the cheapest because they they bury some of the cost of the implementation into the right. software sale. Um, and that doesn't mean you're getting a great value. That just means you're getting a way cheaper approach to your implementation. Um, and the cheapest approach is never the best approach. Um, you know, these are large, complex, hairy, scary um, deals. Um, e even if you're at a mid-tier software like a Sage 
or such. They're far more complex because there's more features and functionality, right? There's more that you have to talk about and address and design. And even um, some of the some of the CAN solutions, right? There, it's it's still new technology that you don't have today. Um, so people that are shopping for price, you know, and the first question at the trade booth is, how much do you charge for X? We're just like, we're not the vendor for you. You know, you go, go on down the way, right? Because that's just a client you don't want. Um, someone that's that's not wanting to invest what it's going to take to do the transformation. That's a key indicator of failure. You know, if you're looking for value is different than looking for price. If you're looking by price, um, you're in for a really rough road. Yeah, it's it's like a prioritization on on the value drivers and uh, you know um, software companies make no mistake uh, want to sell their software. The mm. implementation is often a second thought for them. You know, so mm. it really takes an organization to care about the outcomes uh, and the business case and have that focus on the business case with you know clear objectives from a project perspective really linking back to the reason why you're doing what you're doing in the first place and not replicate the current system right a lot of times we get into these projects as well and uh you know a design session will happen and someone will ask the question what do you want to see in this and the customer really doesn't doesn't know anything but what they do right now so they say oh this is how we do it well, why are we implementing a new system? <laughs> well, but I guess to tie into that, you know, I was just thinking how many of us, you know, our culture in general is becoming very much, um, you know, I want this and then you get it and you don't have to maybe invest yourself, your effort or whatever in it. And, and I think there's corporations who even approach ERP implementations like that. Like, hey, I just want to be able to order it off of Amazon and somebody turn it on and make it work. And I don't want to be involved in it. And so how do you guys, I mean, like, how do we combat that? Like, how do we get them involved and invested and realize that it's a co-ownership and not just somebody coming and doing a service for them, like installing a fence. And, uh, uh, yeah. I, 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 yeah, my, just, just my thoughts and then I'll let the experts go too. I think <laughs> when I look at something like that, it's really understanding what ERP is in the first place. And I think that's been kind of a central theme of this conversation. And I think that's one of the biggest issues is there are a lot of apps that you can in a business just kind of buy off the shelf and use it as what is intended and it works well. But if ERP is supposed to be that system that ties all of those apps in, you want to make sure that that's catered right for your business so that those other apps can tie in beautifully. But if you have a mess, just kind of as an infrastructure, as a, as kind of a platform for other things to go on, everything else you put on top of it's gonna to fail too. So for, for me, it's really correcting the understanding of ERP as just another thing that you can put on top of your business to make it run better. It is kind of what you want to organize everything and to, to make sure it's communicating well. Um, and until that kind of understanding is I think uh, really brought back up, um, uh, people are going to continue to try to shop, uh, shop on the shelves and it's not gonna work. It, it's funny, um, and, and I have some relevant experience there. We had a customer um, that had to be live with an M4 ERP system in three months. Um, and we said, the only way you can do it, and there, this is a large national retailer that's still in business uh, today. And we said, the only way you can do that is for you not to be involved. 
right? For us to come in, do some discovery, understand what you're trying to do, and then get totally leave us alone, right? And let us go configure you and we will bring you back a system. And we did it in three months, um, a large national retailer, and we brought them an M4 system that to this day they're still using. Um, but they, we didn't do design discussions. We didn't do discovery to any real extent. We basically said, got it, understand your retail, understand your reporting requirements, understand this, that, and the other. And we went away and we came back and it was possibly the cheapest ERP implementation ever. So, it was definitely I the mean, fastest one I've ever done. Best as well. It's not, <laughs> it's not like them just, I mean, essentially saying like, it's like when you go buy a, a, you know, a brand new piece of furniture, you buy a TV, you're taking it as it is, right? And so while you gather their requirements, maybe it's like a custom sofa, right? You want this leather, you want this, this, this length or whatever, but once it's delivered, you have to accept it the way it is. Like how, how do you get that um, buy-in? I mean, that's, that's a big commitment at an ERP level. I mean, just because everybody goes in with this idea of, you know, I want it to work my way. Yeah, it was executive sponsorship on that one for sure. It was the whole C-level suite going, we have a burning platform. We don't have a choice. Our business is so changing anyway. And they didn't, they cared more about like POS systems and other relevant, you know, stock inventory manufacturing, right? They had a bunch of other systems that they way cared more about. ERP was just this backend financial accounting system in their mind. And that's how they sold it. And they basically just directed across the organization. Um, this, the, you know, this is the way. Um, and everybody went, okay. okay. Um, and they, they were fine with it. You know, we had a little tinkering with the chart. Um, but that, that was really it. Um, and it worked really well, but that's abnormal, right? Cause what usually happens is a, people don't understand what they buy. They buy these new SAS ERPs. They have no idea what the heck SAS means. They want to customize it. They don't realize what well, you just bought a SAS model. Um, you should probably go look up on the internet what SAS is, um, and understand what you bought because you can't customize it. You can you can configure it sort of, but you can't really customize it. Um, and it's amazing to me how many people buy SaaS ERPs in the cloud and have no idea what they bought. And the first thing they want to do is tell me how different they are and why they need to customize what they just bought. And then don't understand that doing that increases your cost, your complexity, your timeline, your path to failure, everything. It's great. <laughs> It's a good story. <laughs> but it also sounds like the best ERP implementation ever. How do you package that up and repeat it? Because man, that yeah. would uh, I mean it solves Can that, that. what? Can I have ten of them? Yes. You know, it's funny you say how can you package it up? I I you know, I, I mean we've all been doing ERP uh for the last five years, because we're all so young, um, might be more like 25 <laughs> years. Um, and, and early in my ERP career, I was on a team with, uh, it was SAP and a large GSI, um, uh, you know, global system integrator and a hosting platform, uh, Siemens. And we were trying to come up with what's a pre-configured ERP of SAP? How do we squeeze that big thing into a little tiny box that healthcare <laughs> might want to buy, um, you know, for 
X dollars, right? That was our goal. And we worked on it. I mean, it felt like hundreds of people. It probably wasn't, but a lot of people worked on it for six months and we abandoned the project. Um, we were never successful because uh, we couldn't do it, right? So how do you squeeze it into a box? Technically, you probably could, but you're going to want to buy it? I don't think so. Right. Yeah. We, we, we did something similar with a global um, FMCG uh, organization and uh, on an SAP project. And I think we started that 20 years ago and it took us, it took us about a year and a half to develop the global template that we rolled out to a couple of pilot markets and then renovated that template for the second version. And from there, we were able to get 90, 95% of the global business requirements in this template. And if you think of the, the view of the onion, uh, all the core parameters, the core configuration, and the last level of the onion was the localizations for a, uh, a specific country market. And uh, that, that's what we went in to deliver uh, country by country. And those SAP implementations at a market level uh, for a global organization took between six and nine months rather than 24 to 36 months. And, and so that was the benefit of creating that global template. But that was within the organization, not for, you know, uh, SAP, for instance, uh, taking that as a template and delivering that to other customers of a similar nature. Yeah. Do you think it was just, sorry, Brendan, because the appetite's not there? I mean, is, is I, I it because everybody thinks, in my way? <laughs> everybody thinks they're different, right? They That's mm -hmm. the first thing that they tell you is how they're different. Um, you know, and I don't mean to insult any of my previous healthcare customers, but at the end of the day, you render care to patients and you need to account for that and you need to supply that and you need to pay and, and, and manage the people that do that function. At the end of the day, you're all doing the same thing. Sorry, mm -hmm. all my healthcare customers. <laughs> oh, and and I, you know, in, in this global example that I was referencing, uh, I think there was about seven or eight countries that had SAP um, purchased independently um, with SAP in Germany. And uh, we centralized all those contracts to one central SAP contract. I'm pretty sure we were not SAP's, you know, <laughs> favorite customer at that stage because they went from seven or eight customers to yeah. one customer through that process. Mm. Interesting. And so following up kind of just on the, the, the topic of the future of ERP, right? Uh, we talked about some t different technologies today, uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, blockchain, extended reality. You have all of these puzzle pieces that are all trying to kind of figure out where the puzzle board even is. How do that, how have you seen either clients now or how do you think clients should in the future look at their ERPs and determine is this the right uh, kind of uh, let's call it baseboard or, or platform to host all of these things that I want to add? Should they be looking at their ERP and saying, is this right for what I want to add? Or should they be looking at all of these applications and uh, maybe futuristic um, technologies and saying, okay, well, this doesn't fit with my ERP. So let's look a different direction. What are y'all's thoughts on that? I, I had a customer say something very interesting to me once uh, we were talking about RPA and once they really understood it, they go, I don't need to ever upgrade my ERP. I, I mean, they were, they were only mildly joking, but he said, my ERP can become a database 
and I'm going to transact in like what Adrian was saying. I'm going to transact in, in uh, you know, chatbots and RPA to move stuff around, and my ERP just becomes a database. Absolutely mm-hmm. sure. Um, functionally, probably not. Um, you know, I think your core business has to drive your ERP. We're we're helping um, do a selection, an ERP selection right now for a. Um, Oh, geez. Uh, they're in the forest service without being too specific. Um, they're in the forest service industry. Um, and, um, you know, they're looking across all these ERPs and they're like, well, this is what we need. And I'm like, there is no ERP out there that is focused on the forest industry. Let me tell you that. Like, <laughs> there is not. I've looked at hundreds of ERPs. Nobody's like, we're the ERP for the forest industry. Uh, said no one ever. Um, so, so, you know, I mean, you got to, you got to look at it and go, yeah, you need some of your core functionality, you know, like some companies might have manufacturing and that's going to drive, uh, you know, some ERPs are far better at manufacturing than others. So I think you have to look at some of that, you know, and make sure that your ERP handles kind of your core functionality. All the ERPs and Adrian might feel a little different than I do, but I, I think all the ERPs are are weak when you start talking about artificial intelligence and things like that, natural language processing. They're trying, they want to be, but, you know, to Jana's point, this is technology of the 80s, right, that's now in this cloud environment and stuff. They're still playing catch up. They're they're definitely not leading in the AI space. And I'll include Oracle in that, and I'll make it some kickback on that, but, um, you know, you know, they're they're trying, they're coming, but so many of these niche players in that AI space are so much further along that I would frost the ERP cake with them, but I wouldn't let that be the driver, right? I'd find your core functionality in ERP, frost the cake with some of these uh, AI vendors. So, you know, we're, we're um, mentioned quite a few things on, on how important the ERP is, whether it becomes, you know, however expansive it is within your organization, it's still kind of, you know, the hub of, of how you're, you operate. So, um, whether, like, what is your, what are your thoughts on, like, organizations who are either under, about to undertake or have just started undertaking an ERP project? Like, what are, like, if you were going to put out, you know, like the weather service putting out a warning, <laughs> what warnings do, do they need to have in the forefront of their minds? Hmm. Well, I, I think you've got to start with, um, you know, the outcome that you're trying to achieve, right? So are, are you fragmented in the way that you're operating your business uh, and the business models? Have you got inconsistency across your process groups? Have you got manual or very poor data alignment? Um, and how about your decision making? Um, do you have the information? Like you might be data rich, but information poor, um, if, if those are questions that resonate with an organization, you've got an opportunity to really standardize your business processes, look at how you can integrate that data to create some real decision-making information. And from a decision-making perspective, how can you uh, drive that excellence to do more with less? I think that's one of the common challenges of organizations now is, is especially public facing ones, is how to return more value to the shareholder. 
right? Mm. So you have to look at things like your operating model, how you're engaging with, with your, your stakeholders across the um, business and external to your organisation as well uh, to drive those real business benefits, right? So how do you improve your financial management? You optimise your customer service uh, interactions. <laughs> do you um, do online self-service? both for internal uh, customers and external customers. How can you respond quicker? How can you decrease the cost uh, to serve and the risk to the, organ the organisation to make sure that everything's done right first time and accountability at the source, right? All that comes together and um, helps you make better decisions for your organisation. And if an ERP is implemented well as a foundation, uh, you've, you've got the opportunity to have that enable a lot of those items that I've talked about. Right. I, I, I love what you just said. I mean, I always tell people, start with the end in mind, right? Paint a picture of what you want it to be um, and then find a vendor that can help you paint by numbers, right? Um, that can say, okay, to get there, this is your roadmap of all these things you need to do. Um, and the other term that I always use, we do a pre-planning engagement, which a lot of our customers are starting to, to purchase because um, these are big and, and they want to understand what it takes and they want to budget. And these are the companies that are successful because it, they understand their internal commitments as well as the financial spend they need to make. Um, so I always say you can plan now or change order later, right? And the choice is yours and your vendor is happy to help you in either capacity. But if you underestimate this thing, you're not going to be successful. You're going to wind up going back to your board and, and having these uncomfortable conversations um, so start with the end in mind, plan appropriately up front, understand what you're about to undertake, um, you know, and really, I, I also call it, I have another saying called stuck at start, um, get stuck at start for a reasonable amount of time, understand every aspect of, you know, where are you in a maturity for change? Do you need help with change management? What's your rice, you know, um, your reports and integrations and such? What's that complexity? How much tech development time do you need, right? These are areas that companies always underestimate and always fall down on in implementations. So understand that and have that honest conversation. And maybe you can't afford to do it this year and you need to save up and wait till next year, right? Um, but don't half-ass it going in because you just... Your, that's your that's your path to needing some corporate CPR. I think exactly. I think that goes back to what you said earlier about um, it's okay to look for value, but don't necessarily look for cheap. So don't go out there, you know, trying to skimp. Go and do it right and do it right once, because I think we've all found that in the end they end up spending the money anyway um, because mm -hmm. the project starts to fail. They have to recover it, whatever. And so you're better off knowing. Um, ahead of time, what the commitment is, both financially and even resources, right? I think that's another thing is people, you know, these projects get significantly under-resourced. Um, um, and then and then it's, it's even more expensive trying to recover it. Fantastic point. And, and uh, it, it does look like we are, are coming up on time. So um, I did want to just wrap us up. And Michael and Adrian have an absolutely fantastic today. And um, just looking back at our conversations, talking about the future of ERP, it's great to hear from people who have been boots on the ground for, uh, quite honestly, much longer than I have. Um, but it, it's great to see uh, that, that ERP really is going to be sticking around and probably becoming more of a of a central role in a lot of people's lives. I think I think right now it is, but not a lot of people fully understand that. Um, and as we've discussed, I mean, it's going to 
as we as we explore these future technologies, blockchain, AI, um, and just all of these cool things. Uh, ERP can be that one solution that is able to wrap wrap those up, make it easy to understand, easy to learn, as long as companies are actually willing to uh, understand the ERP that they're bringing in. And that's not just going uh, shelf shopping. That's that's not using the software company that you're buying ERP from to come in and just give you a, a kind of a bland package. It's, it's really understanding what your business needs and, and bringing that in so that you're not having to go shopping two years later because what you brought in didn't work out. Mm. Um, but I definitely want to thank both uh, Michael Grace, uh, Adrian Tyler. Thank you so much for your insights. Uh, hopefully have uh, more of these in the future. And, I, and I'm excited to, I'm excited to see the future of ERP. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.